Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm here with you on this uh, very special day. It's actually Saturday, the 7th of June, 2014, uh, the day before Pentecost Sunday, which is actually the final Sunday of Easter. I only found that out recently. I thought that there was only seven weeks in Easter, but actually Pentecost is considered the final day. It's uh, sort of the completion and the beginning of the new creation, if you're looking at the uh, Christian calendar. So it's an exciting day. It's an exciting time. Uh, So this isn't going to be a particularly long episode, but I didn't want to let this week go by without at least addressing Pentecost in some way. And this may seem like a little bit of a strange way to do it, but I'm actually going to be uh, grabbing a book that was written almost 60 years ago, uh, not by a Christian, but by a Jewish scholar. And I'm going to tell you more about that in just a minute. Uh, But Pentecost is a very, very special day for us in the church. It is what we call the birthday of the church. Um, we can look at it in many ways as the reversal of the Tower of Babel. So I want to read uh, to you from the, the narrative that we have in the book of Acts today. In case you're new to this whole idea of the concept of Pentecost and are wondering, where does this story even come from? What are you talking about? Um, and, and why do we call it the birthday of the church? I'm hoping to address some of those things quickly on the show today. And uh, we're just going to kind of make this a Pentecost um, primer, maybe, <laughs> or maybe just some, some thoughts that I wanted to share, things that have been going through my head lately on Pentecost. So first I'm going to read from the book of Acts, and uh, I want to start with chapter 1. Many people don't know this, so let me just tell you real fast. Uh, Luke and Acts, we believe, were written by the same author, and uh, he's writing to Theophilus, and Theophilus could be a person, or more likely, because the word means lover of God, uh, it's written to Christ's church, people who love God, people who want to know him more. And uh, it's obviously written not just to Jews, but it's written to Gentiles. And that's a lot about what Pentecost is about, this idea that God is everyone's God, that this is the God for the whole world, that no one people group have any right claim upon him, but God is bigger than that, and God creates a new family. God creates a new kingdom. So I'm going to begin just quickly. Really, Acts kind of works as a sequel to the book of Luke, uh, where Luke ends with uh, Jesus' ascension. Um, We're going to be starting with that in the book of Acts. So let me just begin that way. Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, which, as I said, means lover of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What Jesus always spoke about was the kingdom of God. Not heaven after you die, the kingdom of God, a present reality that extends into eternity. That's just a little side note. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... 
but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, the disciples are thinking in very um, earth-oriented, kingdom of the earth terms, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. They're asking about the kingdom of Israel being restored, and, um, and Jesus is trying to tell them it's not about Israel. It's about the kingdom of God, God's reign on earth, God's reign in heaven, all of it uh, together is one. So he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, hid him from their sights. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So let me just do some more quick commentary on this passage before we get into Acts 2 and before I get into uh, this Jewish scholar that I want to read from today. Um, you have to understand that the writers of the New Testament, um, they're in this place where Greek thought was very prevalent, but there was a real difference in understanding heaven in terms of Greek thought and Hebrew thought. Um, a good Jew would actually look at the world as a place where heaven and earth were intertwined. Whenever we have the story of the transfiguration where Jesus is meeting uh, with Moses and Elijah, um, it's, it's a story where they are transfigured before him and the disciples are able to see Jesus and uh, these prophets of old um, standing there together. Uh, and it's, it's like earth in that moment is, is transfigured for them. They are transfigured, Jesus is transfigured, but the realm between heaven and earth, this door or what some people might call, you know, crossing the river, that door is opened and they are changed and it's like the barrier between the two, whatever barrier that is between this physical, spiritual realm, as some people are going to put it in that term, is broken. And the reality of what is that is not always seen is actually seen in that moment. So we have those who have gone before standing with those who are present because as Christians we believe that the dead are present with us but they're just present in a different way and uh, and we're going to you know whenever we get all new bodies one day here upon the earth and Jesus renews the whole earth as this is a foreshadowing of in this passage when we're talking about transfiguration um, that it will be uh, in completion. So what we have here in this passage Jesus is not being taken up like um, like we often think, like, okay, heaven's in outer space and Jesus is flying up there right now and there he's going to wait. Um, the, the Jewish thought about heaven is that it intersects with this world. And that's a very early Christian understanding of what heaven is. It's not some place you go later. It's some place that you presently are. Um, there are unseen realities that exist upon this plane right now. And so the idea of the kingdom of God is that, you know, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, Jesus is having us pray for this reality that this present 
kingdom would come to earth in a full way um, in its reality that we would live as citizens of the kingdom of God so we believe that God inhabits all places at all times we believe that God is reigning that God is ruling um, and we believe that his kingdom is present that he deserves our full allegiance that he is king that he is lord there is no other there is never a time when he was not reigning there will never be a time when he is not reigning and so this idea of jesus being taken up um i believe the writer of luke was very careful because the disciples are standing around doing a very greek thing they're looking up in the sky and they're just waiting around uh you know it's like almost like we do sometimes you're like well one day when we get to heaven then it'll all be made right and these men who, you know, you can call them angels, men dressed in white, they're representative of agents of heaven. Again, transfigured, white. Um, they're kind of breaking into this reality of earth and saying, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So there's this idea that the kingdom is coming in its fullness and we are to be a part of bringing it here now there's this already and the not yet because if god is the same yesterday today and forever uh that he is currently reigning upon this earth right now um and so we need to be people who live like it so where the greek understanding would be okay we wait for heaven the jewish thought that we're getting here from the angels is stop standing here staring up into the sky get to work. This present reality is here. Jesus will return in the fullness like you've just seen him. He's coming back and we're all going to be here together. So um, we get into Acts 2 then. I'm just going to skip over into Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. So they're waiting in Jerusalem just like they had been instructed, all right? And they're waiting together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now remember, if you remember back to the creation story in Genesis, when it talks about the breath of God and God breathing life into creation and God breathing life into Adam and into Eve, um, it's, it's this nephish saying that the breath of God is breathed into us, bring us life. That same word is also where we get this word for wind. And so when it talks about a blowing of a violent wind or this mighty wind, it's, it's like saying the breath of God is being breathed anew into humanity and helping men uh, to attain life in a new way again. And suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So again, the kingdom of heaven, which is present, but it's an unseen reality, starts blowing into the seen reality in this point. So they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now I had to do a little bit of a word study here because I've always wondered, you know, it's like, what is this tongue of fire? I always think of like a tongue in my mouth and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why is there a tongue of fire? I, I think this is a metaphor, you know, when it says they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire. If you look it up in the Greek, it's this glossa or glossé, which is where we get the word, you know, like speaking in tongues, but it actually has to do with language. It's uh, the short definition would be a tongue, a language, a nation. So, you know, you have to use your imagination a little bit. Um, if the word is actually an, a nation or a nationality, <laughs> uh, I mean, they didn't see 
maybe literal a, a nation of fire coming down upon their head or things like this. It's almost apocalyptic in its, in its sort of imagery that's bringing here. The idea, I believe, that they're trying to express here is that these tongues, not a like physical tongue like what's in your mouth, but tongues like language being spoken. And when we talk about, you know, our words were like set on fire, or he had some fiery language, and fire is often seen as the way that God is portrayed. We often want to say that that's hell, but it's actually the fiery word of God, which is a warmth to those who will accept it with love. And it it seems like it's a, a bad thing to those who will not accept it with love because fire can be good or bad. We both know that. So these tongues of fire, tongues, multiple, more than one. You have to remember in the Tower of Babel story that we saw in Scripture, that's where God separated the, the languages of people. Pentecost is a reversal of that. We stop, we stop thinking of ourselves in terms of just one people or that, you know, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel or you could stay at this present day, Lord, are you going to bring America back to you or whatever? All very wrong ways of looking at what the kingdom of God is because the kingdom of God is present on earth as it is in heaven and the kingdom of God is where we live. And as Christians, it's a new reality that we are formed into. So now we have not a tongue of fire, coming to us and if you think about the story of Moses the burning bush where language was being spoken from a bush God was speaking out of this fiery bush it's very much this idea that not one tongue but all tongues many tongues tongues of every nation they're coming down to speak the words of the Holy Spirit to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to all creation. So tongues of fire resting upon the heads of the disciples is literally God giving them the empowerment to go out and to see the world not just as one nation, but to see the world as God's creation, that all things in it are being brought into a new creation, where Paul talks about in Christ there is no longer slave nor free, no barbarian, Scythian, uh, no male or female, and, and this list that he goes through, because all are one in Christ. So that's what we have. Suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came in. Um, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them now they were staying in jerusalem god-fearing jews from every nation under heaven when they heard this sound a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken utterly amazed they asked aren't all these who are speaking galileans then how is it each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine, and which is, it, there's a lot of humor in this book that, you know, they're just crazy. They're talking in other languages, and, uh, you know, they, they're not making any sense. So then we have this story of, you know, Peter standing up. He raises his voice and says, Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. By the way, from the time of Jesus um, uh, 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 ascending to the time when he comes back, that's the last days. Uh, forget about the left-behind theology or heresy, as I would call it. It's completely a falsehood. It's not in Scripture. It's take Scripture taken out of context. The last days are now. We've been living in it since Jesus ascended. Um, so anyway, just a side note. Uh, it says, even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That's a very important thing, too. Both on men and women, that Christianity breaks down the barriers where women were seen as second-class people. It's saying to men and women alike, uh, I mean, different social classes here, you know. I mean, women were looked at as nothing more than property uh, or dogs or pets sometimes. And, and this language is saying this is for men and women alike who are equal in Christ. I will show the wonders in heavens above and the signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Think of that. So fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead. Now, a distinction, by the way. Uh, some bad Calvinistic theology will say that God killed Jesus and that God turned his back and all that. Um, we believe, though, Christian faith, orthodoxy, from the very beginning, here in Acts even, will tell us that, uh, that man killed God. God did not kill God. That Jesus is God. He is one with the Father. That God came to earth as Jesus in that. So this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So humanity uh, are the ones who are guilty of killing Jesus, not God. God is Jesus. So anyway, just a reminder there. Verse 24, Acts 2. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Uh, or I love how um, the Maasai Creed says it, that the hyenas did not touch him. Uh, anyway, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord, a political term, and Messiah, a spiritual term, deliverer. Um, So when Jesus heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, or change your mind. Repent, that's what that means. And be baptized. Very specific. Jesus did command us to be baptized. It's not an option for the Christian. It's part of our walk, by the way. So Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who whom the Lord, uh, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Uh, with many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Um, so it's a beautiful story of the birth of the church. And the church broke out from there. Right there he's addressing Israelites, um, but he's addressing Israelites of different nationalities and language i mean different people from different areas were there and they're talking to them some people say well was it a spiritual thing were they just talking in one language and everybody heard it in their own um well i want to say yes and no i mean i don't know i wasn't there exactly but one thing i know is uh the disciples had changed enough to they where they were willing to humble themselves to speak everybody's language and to speak in a way that was clear that God was everybody's God, not just for one people. And I think in this moment what we're having is this idea that not that God had changed, but we're seeing that our perception of God has changed. And uh, and I want to read to you today, this is a great little book I found. It's actually a book for students um, that was written, I believe, in 1954, I think, um, by Rabbi Roland B. Gittelson. Roland B. Gittelson, G-I-T-T-E-L-S-O-H-N, in case you want to uh, look up any of this. Um, but I came across this book in a used bookstore when I was in Chicago not long ago. I think I paid all of maybe a dollar and a half for it. It's a little hardcover book. Uh, 1955 was actually when it was published, so almost 60 years old. Uh, we're a year shy of it right now. But he said some great things that I think applies to Pentecost in this book that he's talking to Jewish students about thinking about their faith. Now remember, in Acts here, at Pentecost, the Christian faith is a very Jewish faith. Uh, Whenever it began, um, early Christianity was Jewish for a long time. I mean, they did not go out of the temple for a while. Um, I think it was something like 80 years before there was kind of a distinction between the Jewish and the Christian faith. Um, Paul didn't have any of the New Testament. He didn't use that. He was a Jew, so he used Jewish writings. Jesus had none of the New Testament. The Bible Jesus used was the Old Testament. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a part of the Jewish faith. So Jesus was firmly grounded in Judaism. So I think it's important that we hear um, what a, what a professor, uh, a rabbi from the Jewish religion would say to us about knowing God and about um, what this means. I think it has a lot of relevance to Christians. So here we go. Um, rabbi Gittelson in the book, Little Lower Than the Angels. Today isn't yesterday. Of course it isn't, you say. But what is more important is that today's ideas are aren't the same as yesterday's either. 
In our search for religious ideas which will help us live better lives today, we shall be greatly aided by discovering what Jews have believed about God and religion through the ages. Many of the ideas first suggested by Moses about 3,200 years ago or by the great Jewish prophets about 2,500 years ago will still be helpful to us, but some of their thoughts are no longer valid for us. This shouldn't be surprising at all. Our ideas, most important things, sorry, our ideas about most important things have changed quite a bit in the last 2,000 years. We wouldn't think much of a person who still believed that the earth is flat or that trees and stones have spirits inside them, would we? As civilization grows older, as each generation learns what has been discovered in the past, then searches for new truths itself, its ideas change. So we must expect our ideas about God and religion to be different from those of our ancestors also. And by the way, a side note, I think that this is what we're seeing in the book of Acts. I think this is what Jesus is coming um, to show us, that our ideas about God need to change. And then he says this, this is a very important distinction for us to hear today. Let us recognize right here, however, that there is a difference between saying that God changes and saying that people's ideas about God change. The earth didn't change any when people stopped supposing it to be flat and began to understand it must be round. It was always round, even when people thought it to be flat. Much in the same way, God has probably always been the same. It, has, it is our ideas about God that have changed. But we're getting a little ahead of our story. Um, and, and he talks a little bit about uh, Moses. I won't read the whole thing to you, but that's a very important distinction for us when we look at the book of Acts. So as human beings, uh, we need to realize that Jesus didn't come to change God, that, that God, in fact, did not change in Jesus. Jesus is helping us change our ideas about who God is by showing us who God is. Because we believe, you know, if you look at the book of John, the Word became flesh, the Word, the Logos, the divine idea, the whole idea, the greatest thought of all. Um, God became flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus is the living Word of God, that Jesus is what God has to say. So Jesus is coming not to tell us that God has changed, but to tell us that we have gotten some things wrong about who God is. So as Christians, we need to realize that just because Jesus may help us reinterpret Scripture, that Jesus may help us see things where we had gotten it wrong, there is a difference in between saying that God changes and saying that people's ideas about God changes. And I believe with all my heart that in this Acts narrative, we're seeing that again through the power of the Holy Spirit, believers' ideas about who God is is changing. Before the Holy Spirit empowers them, um, they're still asking these questions to Jesus. When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is saying, it's not about Israel. God is about his kingdom. God is about bringing his rule and reign uh, into all creation, that God already rules, God already reigns, and we need to open the eyes and the hearts of men to see that. And so we look at Pentecost as the birth of the church, when the church, the disciples of Christ, and those who were gathered around who believed, including Mary, were present and were filled with the Holy Spirit, 
who were carrying his message into the world in a new way. And the book of Acts, you'll see that some of the disciples were not comfortable with going to people outside of their faith, outside of their nationality. And yet that's what the book of Acts is about going into all the world, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, in essence proclaiming that Jesus is what God has to say to his people. Here's a new idea. God has not changed, but we've been looking at him in many wrong ways, and we need to see him in the light of Christ, that God has become flesh, that Jesus is what God is like. As my friend Brian Zahn says to his congregation many times, and you listen to his sermons, he says this a lot, Jesus is like God. Jesus has always been like God. Jesus will always be like God. We haven't always known this, but we know it now. And so going back to what Rabbi Gittleson said, he says, let us recognize here, however, that there is a difference between saying that God changes and saying that people's ideas about God change. Well, my prayer for us as we are going into Pentecost and beyond here in 2014 is that Many of us, uh, all of us really, I think we all from time to time need our ideas about God to change. It's not healthy for a person to be stagnant in who they are and to never have a new thought about God and to never wrestle with their faith. That is not a growing living faith. A growing and living faith, uh, we actually believe that we will believe things differently years from now than what we do right now because our faith has grown because we are growing in God and, and because God is revealing himself to us um, in new ways so I think what I want to do in closing out this talk today about Pentecost is I want to share with you something I alluded to before just a few minutes ago um, one thing that, that Rabbi Gittleson said you know is that that we don't um, necessarily believe things in exactly the same way because God will reveal new things and humankind will have a different revelation. Um, but one thing as Christians that we do believe is that there are some things that are unchanging truths. And sometimes we have to say them in new ways uh, to to help us be reminded to, in a sense like in Acts, um, to uh, open our eyes to new ways of seeing. And so I believe, again, that Acts is not saying God has changed, it's saying that our ideas about him need to change. And so um, a few years, not a few years ago, I think it was back around the time of World War II, um, possibly this was Gosh, I'd have to look up the date. You can look it up online. But there is a tribe of people in Africa that identify themselves. They're, they're identified as the Maasai tribe. Uh, I got to meet a few of them when I was over in Africa. And uh, I love the creeds of the church. We have the Nicene Creed, I believe, is the one of the most ancient that we have. You know, probably our earliest statement of belief is Jesus is Lord. Uh, but then the church began to unpack what that means and what it means in the in the fullness of faith. So we get things like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and you can find books actually um, that have uh, literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of creeds that have been ways of formulating what we believe as Christians. And this is one of my favorites that I've found. Again, God has not changed, but our ideas about him maybe need to change. And so the Maasai people, in ways of articulating who God is and what we believe as Christians, came up with this wonderful creed. So I want to share this with you um, as my brothers and sisters in the, in the Maasai people in Africa have said about God because uh, their identity has changed too. Uh, you know, just like I'm not just American anymore. 
I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. The Maasai are no longer uh, Maasai or citizens of the, the continent of Africa. They are citizens of the kingdom of God. We're all the same together, renewed and changed in him. So this is the Maasai Creed. We believe in the one high God who out of love created the beautiful world and everything good in it. He created man and wanted man to be happy in the world. God loves the world and every nation and tribe on the earth. We have known this high God in darkness, and now we know him in the light. God promised in the book of his word, the Bible, that he would save the world and all the nations and tribes. We believe that God made good his promise by sending his son, Jesus Christ, a man in the flesh, a Jew by tribe, born in a uh, born poor in a little village, who left his home and was always on safari doing good, curing people by the power of God, teaching about God and man, showing the meaning of religion is love. He was rejected by his people, tortured and nailed hands and feet to a cross, and died. He lay buried in the grave, but the hyenas did not touch him. And on the third day he rose from the grave. He ascended to the skies. He is, Lord. He is the Lord. We believe that all our sins are forgiven through him. All who have faith in him must be sorry for their sins, be baptized in the Holy Spirit of God, live the rules of love, and share the bread together in love, to announce the good news to others until Jesus comes again. We are waiting for him. He is alive. He lives. This we believe. Amen. Well, I just want to close out Voices in My Head today uh, by saying thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Uh, and here is a medley of songs that I recorded. They're actually up on YouTube. You can go to my page at youtube.com slash rickleejames, and um, you'll find these songs. Or you can just go to rickleejames.com slash free sheet music, and you can actually get the lead sheets uh, for this arrangement for these Pentecost songs. And uh, this is a, a medley of hymns for Pentecost Sunday that I put together. And uh, we'll just end this way uh, by worshiping God. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head. I wish you a wonderful Pentecost and a rest of your 2014. We'll be back with you very soon. Thanks for listening. God bless.
You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.